You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins. I'm Dave Griffiths as we are one week away from selections in the NFL Draft. Three-day event next week. The Colts, as of now, it's a two-day event for them, but we'll get into all that over uh, today and over next week as well when we do our full draft preview. But today, plenty of... uh, Content on tap will begin with Debo Samuel requesting a trade. Well, we'll talk about that in the very near future. Uh, Frank Reich and several players spoke with the media this week on Wednesday as the Colts have gathered together at team headquarters for beginning phase one of the offseason workout program. Uh, we'll break down quarterback and tight end prospects in this year's draft as we are just a couple of days away from uh, going green. But first, we will start just very briefly with one signing from last week. The Colts have signed offensive tackle Brandon Kemp. Uh, he's a 25-year-old, 6'6", uh, 317 pounds. Signed by the Titans uh, last year, undrafted free agent, two years ago, rather, excuse me. And he spent all of last year on injured reserve with a labrum injury, the uh, the Andrew Luck injury, if I am not mistaken, is that's what it was. Um, he is uh, from Kenny Moore's alma mater, Valdosta State. Go Blazers in South Georgia there. Stored 38 games and uh, athlete who uh, who had good testing in uh, pre-draft drills, but obviously not enough to get drafted two years ago. But we certainly don't need to go into deep depth on Brandon Kemp, Joe. This is a, a, a depth signing because the Colts are going to need some depth on that offensive line. It's a depth signing. Maybe he can stay healthy and capitalize on that athleticism he showed off uh, before the draft in 2020. But as of right now, it's a player who's going to be fighting for a roster spot, and hopefully he'll be able to help out the Colts who need depth at offensive tackle. Mike, yeah, depth is uh, crucial. This time of year, you're building some of that and some of your, even in, in your key places, places that you feel really good, uh, the draft uh, and some of these late free agent signings can end up uh, paying dividends when the season comes around. Yeah, I wrote about this, I think it was early this week. One thing that's been strange about this offseason, aside from the fact that they've added some marquee players, which is not the way they do things. I believe that right now they've got 64 players under contract. And that's not really not very many. I mean, what's do, do, do my ball state math? That's 26 spots still available. So you got seven draft picks. Let's say they sign four more veteran guys. You normally sign 12 or 13, 14 undrafted free agents. And it wasn't that many last year. So they've got, a significant portion of their roster to fill out. I mean, just bodies. And that's not normally the way that they do things. It, they normally have things in order at positions where, boy, we've got play X number of players here, there, and it's really filled out. And then you're using the draft and the undrafted portion to sort of fill out holes. So the fact that, and again, this is a byproduct of having, what was it? 24 other own players were free agents. And they've probably re-signed I, eight, six of them, whatever. And when you don't sign the other ones, you've left yourself some holes. So then you have work to do. And that's, again, I, I've beaten this to death. That, that's my big concern is they've got – everyone has depth. When the season starts, you'll have depth. But is it proven depth that you can go and, and win games with Wilsey? Right now, they have – major depth issues they have filled a lot of holes near the top of the roster like you mentioned mike with going out and getting through trade or free agency signing um certain players this offseason 
uh, met the need uh, or supposedly met a need at defensive end with uh, Yannick Ngakwe. Went out. You guys had your emergency podcast last week. Talk about Stephon Gilmore coming to the Colts. Still does not top the contract for Jonathan Hankins, though, in terms of uh, money given out. So Jonathan Hankins still holds that title. Uh, Colts fans for the most money Chris Ballard has given out to a true free agent and $28 million in a contract. So uh, keep that in your uh, in your memory banks for the uh, for the quiz later on in the program. Uh, But another player who could be interested uh, could be interesting, rather, I'm sure to many Colts fans will be interesting to many Colts fans who uh, says he's available or his agents say he's available or all the rumors out of San Francisco indicate he's available is Debo Samuel. The wide receiver has taken all references to the 49ers off of his social media. Bing, bing, bing. Welcome to uh, the year of our Lord 2022 and how contract negotiations are done. Uh, Debo's in the final year of his rookie contract. Certainly had a breakout 2021. Had 77 catches, more than 1,400 yards. 1,400 yards was top five in the league. And a 77 catches was certainly nowhere near top five in the league. And that goes to show you, Joe, that he's a playmaker. He averaged more than 18 yards per catch, most in the NFL. Uh, it, just when you hear the idea that Debo Samuel is available, uh, and it's a position that the Colts could certainly use some help in, in spite of what Chris Ballard and Frank Wright continually tell us, because I'm just brushing off everything they have to say about their wide receivers right now, uh, it, it immediately uh, just kind of puts the radar up, say, hey, this Debo Samuel guy, this is kind of interesting. Yeah, Debo absolutely broke out and established himself as a star last year. Apparently, contract negotiations with the 49ers are not going well. I've seen reports that say he doesn't want to be used as a wideback anymore. I mean, he had 59 carries for 365 yards and eight rushing touchdowns last season. So um, I'm not sure if the running back usage is impacting the amount of money 49ers want to give out or if he just, you know, for health reasons, longevity reasons, doesn't want to play that position anymore. We know how beat up running backs can get but it appears Debo and the 49ers are going through a breakup well Mike right now uh you look at the Colts roster and you say that they could use help at wide receiver but they've shelled out some money already Debo if you bring him in it would cost something and then it would cost more if you wanted to re-sign him into the future uh from your point of view even if uh Vegas odds are saying that if he's traded the Colts are really the favorite landing spot a nine to two favorite how likely do you think this would be to see uh, Debo Samuel in a Colts uniform? More chance of seeing Joe in a Colts uniform. <laughs> well, I like that. Uh, it's just, and again, this isn't, you know, complicated. It's to this point, the most free agent money that Chris Ballard has invested in a receiver is $10 million for Devin Funches. And it's clearly, it's clearly a position that we value, meaning the media and everybody outside the building value more than the Colts do. Now they value the position. They've, you know, they've gone second round draft pick with Pittman and Campbell and probably again this year. But the idea of one, Chris Ballard saying, okay, what well, we're going to pay Debo Samuel, you'll start at 20 and it's going to be closer to 25 million. I was say, yeah, it's going to go up from there. Because that that's what the, incredibly, that's what the market is now. But then what it's going to take, to get in position to pay that, you know, if it draft capital, they don't have it. Would San Francisco want future draft capital? I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want now. They don't have a first round pick this year themselves. So right. I, they probably want to get back in the first and, round. And, and some of the teams that, that are rumored, the jets, I mean, ha- have like multiple first round picks and high picks. So, but okay, let, let's say 
and we talked before we went on the air about this. Let, let's not do draft capital. Let's trade Quentin Nelson. You know, does anyone else value Quentin Nelson like the Colts do? Probably not. I. It's in this is not meant to be. Let's trash Q. It, it's not. He, he's a, he's probably the best guard in the league. He's an All Pro player on his way to a Hall of Fame career. Correct. Correct. That, that's undeniable. But doggone, he's a guard. He, he, he's a guard that you're going to pay left tackle money, and it's just tough to pay premium money for a non-prime position. That's kind of the bottom line. That, that's kind of, yeah. That's, Could you imagine Quentin Nelson next to Trent Williams on that offensive line, though? There might Lord be Almighty. some deaths on the field next season if that happened. I remember watching last year, I think it was in the playoffs, when Kyle Shanahan, like, he sent Trent Williams in motion, and he was a pulling blocker. Like, he was a trap guard, basically, on this on this crazy play. And that, I mean, it scared the living daylights out of me, much less whoever the heck he was going up against. So, you're right. It would be it would be insane uh, to have to face a line like that. Well, and again, you start looking at the dominoes. Let's say, let's just say for craziness, they trade Quentin Nelson for Debo Samuel straight up. Okay, then the monies are going to be similar and all this. And players are what they're both about the same age, aren't they? This is both the last year of their rookie contracts. Right. I think Quentin might have one year on him because he was a first round Correct. pick and Debo was a second. Correct. Yeah, but 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 then all of a sudden. One of the pillars of Chris Ballard's roster building is being shredded, the offensive line. Then you have an issue at left tackle. You have an issue at left guard. And yeah. you have an issue at right guard. You know, who knows if Danny Pinner is going to make it. So it, 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 it's cool to think about. And it's crazy to think, boy, Debo Samuel's on this. You get Matt Ryan and timing and yards after the catch. And Michael Pittman can it, – it's great. I just I, I again I expect Joe to play for the Colts before Debo Samuel. There there is always a give and take with these things, Joe. It, it, if I think if any general manager, if you just like created a, an expansion franchise and you said, hey, do you want to start your franchise with Debo Samuel or Quentin Nelson? I'm pretty sure 99 out of 100 uh, new general managers would pick Debo Samuel, if not all 100. Uh, and that's, again, as we're saying, not to trash Quentin because he's an incredible player. And Debo will probably not make the Hall of Fame, and Quentin will. That's not the point. And Qu- right now, Debo, last year, he was a first-team All-Pro, right, if I'm not mistaken. He certainly was a Pro Bowl player. And like I said, he led the league in, in yards per uh, catch. And he, he's absolutely a playmaker, and you need playmakers. And if you're the Colts, you certainly need playmakers. It's something that they were lacking last year. They thought that, uh, that Carson Wentz could be part of the solution, and at the end of the year, it turns out he wasn't part of the solution to that. Um, that the offense was not as explosive as they wanted it to be. They did not make as many downfield plays as they wanted. So that immediately, like I said before, just kind of it perks up your radar to say, hey, this could be interesting because Debo Samuel obviously makes big plays. He had nine catches of 40 yards or more last year, more than anyone in the league. And uh, so, so, so it's intriguing, but albeit, like, like Mike said, especially if you're going you're, you're gonna to keep Quentin Nelson and have to pay him big money next year, probably unlikely at the end of the day. Yeah, that's the biggest thing holding this trade up is the lack of a first-round draft pick to trade for Debo Samuel. I think if the Colts really wanted to, they could make something work with the salary cap. We've discussed how you can make it work. They can restructure Darius Leonard, Brayden Smith, Quentin Buckner. They can restructure the contract of one of their guys who they expect to be with the team years to come. Um, but I just don't see. You know, I was playing with this. The best 
offer I could come with that didn't involve like a Quentin Nelson or giving up one of your big pillars would be the second round pick this year, first round pick next year, Naheem Hines and Paris Campbell. Kind of give the 49ers a couple weapons back and a couple draft picks. I'm not sure that can compete with, like you mentioned, the Jets who have two draft picks in the top 10 and two draft picks in the 30s, high in the second round. Um, or even teams like the Chiefs and the uh, Green Bay Packers, who both have two late first-round picks and need a wide receiver. So I think uh, trade capital is going to be what holds us back more than money. And we don't need to focus on this too much more, but I'll, I'll finish at least my thoughts on it with this about about the, the trade uh, 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 amount that you'd have to trade away. Like San Francisco, we've known all offseason they've wanted to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, that he's been on the trading block, and they still haven't traded him because obviously no one's met their their amount for him. Like if you think their amount for Jimmy Garoppolo, if they have a number for him in the trade market is set here, like can you imagine what their number for Debo Samuel is? It's gotta be higher than that. You go look at the Tyree Kill trade, the Devontae Adams trade, it's gonna be something similar, I would imagine. And I think San Francisco actually has a little leverage here from what I read also, Mike. I think that Samuel would lose a year of a service in the league if he doesn't show up for mandatory minicamp later on this uh this year and if he holds out. And so then he would be a restricted free agent after this year instead of an unrestricted free agent after the final year of his rookie contract. So really, there's a little bit more leverage maybe for San Francisco in this situation than there is for Debo Samuel. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong that, that he'll do it anyway and he'll be fine with it. But right now, the, the San Francisco hold, holds the cards, I think, a little bit in this scenario. But, but they do. Or holds the chips. But, but it's kind of crazy how maybe we're just in one of those cycles in, in the NFL to where players are sort of – I don't know. Did Devonta Adams force his way out of Green Bay? Maybe he did. I maybe made it very clear he didn't want to be there. But you're having premier. It's almost like the NBA where you're having premier players forcing a team's hand. And not only that, the the second highest paid position in the league is receiver. That's crazy. That I mean, it used to be quarterback, defensive end, left tackle, or left tackle defensive end. And all of a sudden, what you got is it five receivers making twenty million? I believe it is seven to five or whatever it is. And and Devontae Adams is making is it thirty? Some just, ludicrous number. It's just crazy. And maybe ten years ago, seven or eight years ago, remember we had that spike with running backs with the Todd Gurleys and all that, and that mm-hmm. that went away yeah, uh, very quickly. Christian McCaffrey. So I, I, it is whether the pendulum is, it has swung and it will right itself. I don't know because these – can you imagine the way that the receiver – forget quarterbacks. I mean, who, who's the next quarterback going to be coming up? Josh Allen? I don't know. Kyler no, Murray right now his, wants to be. Kyler Murray. Yeah, I, Lamar Jackson. Maybe. Let's say Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. where that's going to go. What about one of Jamar Chase? And he's out of – it's just, it's crazy when you've got so many young players – already playing at a high level you know how high is up so again if, if you're gonna if you want to build your team budget wise the correct way it's playmakers it just is it, again I go back to the to, to the old days with with Howard Mudd and the Colts kind of have built from the inside out with the line and they built from the outside in with Tariq Glenn and, and Adam Meadows and Ryan Deem and Jeff Saturday and at the risk of offending guards everywhere, they just found guards. They just did. They 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 had good ones, but they just sort of found them. But that's not the NFL we live in now. 
The Colts have resumed activities together. Off-season workouts have begun. Phase one, the rules are very limited. Uh, no coaches can be on the field with players. Basically, you can't do any live ball drills. There's, quote, what's called dead ball drills. And that means it means like long snappers can snap into a net, but they can't snap to a punter, you know. So it's it's weird rules like that. Or receivers can catch the ball from quarterbacks, but they can't be guarded. And then no defender can catch a ball, no matter who's throwing it. So so all that stuff's going on right I've now. I've seen some cornerbacks who would excel at that drill. Right? Exactly. Yeah, but they can't catch it. hey oh, that's why they're cornerbacks. Um, but, Mike, we spoke with a couple Colts this week. We spoke with Frank Reich, obviously. Um, also, Ryan Kelly, Danny Pinter, and Quiddy Pay stepped up to the microphone. We're going to speak with Chris Ballard later this week as well uh, before the NFL draft comes around next week. But uh, out, of, uh, out of everything that was said between those guys, not, nothing was inordinately newsworthy. I think Ryan Kelly had some really great things to say, uh, being a, uh, a member of the NFLPA executive committee about the offseason program and, um, and the importance of it, but also the importance of, um, of kind of sticking to the script and going slow to fast and, uh, and working uh, their way up and wanting to do that to, to protect the players, prolong their careers and all that stuff. So I, I think that the, uh, that the pendulum can swing like, like we've been talking about, saying, uh, the Colts had a disastrous finish to last year, and heck, they started disastrously last year. And Chris Ballard said that anyone who wants to win is going to be here. So heck, they think they're going to work hard in the off season. But we don't want to. Uh, Chris, I, I, even though Ryan Kelly uh, would, would, I think, agree with everything he says, he's also saying, yeah, and it's still important to stick to the script here and start slowly, and then work their way up. And uh, things will get intense eventually, but they're just not going to be intense right now. Yeah, I think everyone agrees. Most most of it people agree, outside of a few players, that you need some level of off-season work. You just do. And the Colts, it's nine weeks, and I think the really intense period will be the OTAs and then the uh, mandatory minicamp. That's three weeks, probably of nine workouts, and that's when they'll that's when it'll really get interesting. Again, no contact, but you can have eleven on eleven work, and you'll kind of see what you have, mm-hmm. what your team is. But, I, I, again, I, I think a lot of people agree that the last two years has been detrimental. The COVID restrictions, well, wiping it out two years ago right. and then really restricting it last year. So, But it was really interesting talking. Quiddy Pay was a little vague because he, hadn't, he hasn't met with uh, the defensive staff yet as of yesterday. So he, he doesn't really know what his, how his role will change. And it will because – it's a different you, scheme, yeah. It's well, and, and Yannick Nagakwe is going to sort of be where he was last right. year. And it was interesting that they're coming up th- through the ranks in college that Quiddy Pay sort of patterned himself after Nagakwe, which was interesting. So, and, and the one that was really interesting, Ryan Kelly has turned into a pretty good dude to talk to. Very, very knowledgeable, very personable. And he's on that uh, Players Union Executive Committee, so he's got his thumb on what's going on. But but his part is this is his seventh year sixth he's got he's been in the league six years this is his seventh year he will be having his sixth different starting quarterback and the fifth fifth straight year with a, with a full time starter sixth straight year with a new season opening quarterback and he said you know you get emotionally involved with these guys I mean that no one spends more time with a quarterback than the center just for all the reasons. And from from Andrew Luck to 
to Carson Wentz to Philip Rivers to to now Matt Ryan, he's had to adjust. And he's he's funny. He said whenever he gets together with family and friends, they always ask, "So, what do you think about the new quarterback?" <laughs> and he's tired of ask you know answering the question. But here we are again. Joe, remember when it was uh, Andrew Luck going through centers? Now it's Ryan Kelly going through quarterbacks. Like it, it's it's ironic how uh, things have uh, have things have shifted. But uh, like and then it was. Finally, Ryan Grigson has drafted a center. Andrew Luck has his center for the rest of his career. There it is. It's finally fixed. And then Andrew Luck's gone. And now Ryan Kelly's just plowing through court. I obviously say that facetiously. It's funny. I was saying that, too. I I went back to where when they drafted Anthony Costanzo in 2011, he was going to be Andrew Luck's guy. Right. Or a Peyton Manage guy. He was going to be Peyton Manage guy. And it didn't work out. So you never really know. But uh, it's just – it's kind of – and now, if I'm not mistaken – Someone mentioned it during the interview is that he's the longest tenured Colt. Now that Jack Doyle's gone and T.Y. hasn't been resigned. Which only goes back to 2016. Wow. So, uh, but but again, it's really from a media standpoint to see where Ryan Kelly was sort of a quiet, unassuming guy to where he's simply, he is a leader of this team. And uh, to see how he sort of emerged as that guy, it's really kind of encouraging to see. When you look at what was said by Frank Reich and these players, Joe, I completely understand fans getting this far and still not being over the Jacksonville game. And I understand the players, too. But I would also expect them maybe to brush it off and say, we're moving on. It's time to focus on next year. It's time to get to work. We're going to do better in 2022, blah, blah, blah. But really, there was a lot of people saying, Mike, that uh, that they... That, that it's still and, and they were asked the questions, to be fair to them, about the Jacksonville game last year, but they didn't quickly move on to the future. They really were willing to still talk about it. And Frank Reich talking about uh, that it's still that the scar is still there, that you remember how much it hurts, and that you don't want to go through that again, um, using language that was that I expected, honestly, for it to be put to bed. So I, I think you can go back and forth. You can you can say. Well, of course they should still be um, they should still be hurt by it. They better still be hurt. I'm I, I, I'm as a Colts fan. I'm still hurt by it, so I'm glad that they're still hurt. But then you could say at the other side, like, well, they should move on. Like, you got to go on. You got to put it in the past. I mean, you got to learn your lesson, but now you got to work toward the future. So I, I, I'm wondering for you guys where where you fall on that spectrum between kind of those two reactions to where they are right now. It's a balance, I think. Yeah, and that's guys, fair. That's completely fair yeah. for it to be a little bit of both. I think for some guys, it's more beneficial just to put it behind them and move on. And for some guys, they can use it as a motivational tool. Um, I think some of it will still be there until this new season gets underway and we officially have new games to worry about. I mean, that loss was... I think we're going to be able to look back years from now and look at that loss as historic Colts history, like a seismic... Uh, event in the Indianapolis Colts past. I mean, it, it say what you want about it, pretty much led to the jettison of uh, someone who many thought would be the Colts' new franchise quarterback in Carson mm-hmm. Wentz. Um, and it really, really led to this all-in mentality offseason, which to this point has been all-in. I mean, a former defensive player of the year, a sack master in uh, Yannick Ngakwe, and then a new quarterback change, a major quarterback change, um, not just getting rid of Wentz, but adding in Ryan, who could be a future Hall of Famer. So um, I think that loss in Jacksonville was so substantial that it's going to be with players for a little while. Yeah, I had some people 
you know, text messages and all that about how the media wasn't more on the Colts about the Jacksonville game and the way it ended. And my response was, we beat these guys up pretty good for about two or three months. We really did, I mean, after the game and in, in the weeks following. And at some point, you do have to move on. What you know, I'm not sure what, what it serves to say. So, Ryan, what the hell happened? You know, how did you guys step in it so badly? In uh, what he said, he said, hey, there's no way that there's a silver lining from the way that season finished. You can use motivation, whatever. So I, I do think it's time to, yes, there's a balance, but the balance has to kind of teeter in, 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 the, in the side of you've got to move on. And if you, whatever motivation you can find from losing to the Raiders in Jacksonville, fine, but you have to move on. You know, you, you can't linger too much. As a coach, you can't linger on. You, you just can't. I thought Frank handled it pretty good where you got a scar and you say, I remember how I got that and I don't want to get it again, go through that again. Because you, you've got to move on with so many new parts, quarterback, again, pass, uh, the defense. This is going to be a different defense. It's still going to be a 4-3, but it's different. So they have work to do, and I, I thought they handled it well. And for those who thought that the media wasn't hard enough on these team about how, how how could you possibly lose like that, we sort of beat them up for that pretty good already. Yeah, what do they want us to do? I mean, there was right. a little bit of that uh, in Jacksonville. I was there. I remember it. It wasn't fun for them. And then it was the next week talking to Chris Ballard. He got beat up pretty good. And, like, there were a lot of questions asked about that. Like, they, they just want us to go and shake our finger at Frank Reich and say, how dare you lose to Jacksonville? They want us to shake our finger at, at Kenny Moore and Darius Leonard and say, how dare you give up 26 or whatever points it was to Trevor Lawrence? Like, hey. What are they supposed to say, too? Like, we all had our worst game at the same time at right. the most important moment. Yep. Like, it's pretty... It's, it's, it's it, done. It, it's not yeah. You know what it. happened. You can still be ticked off about it, right. but it, but that's all there is to say about it. And like Joe said, this is, I think it's time to move on, and they, they will... Until Jacksonville, I mean, do you think that the next Jacksonville game? This is, do I have to go to Jacksonville again? We're going to be ripping this. We're going to be ripping this. The column over here. You'll be ripping the scab off again, and I don't care what they say. They this question is it's like Ryan Kelly said. You know, I'm asked every year about a new quarterback. Well, because you have a new quarterback. Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to be asked every year about Jacksonville until. They render it a moot point, and the only way you do that is to win. Mm -hmm. I almost wish they played in Jacksonville week one. Well, they did that two years ago. It, but just to give them the opportunity to go there. And get how did that work out? I remember it didn't work out well. The Colts defense lost Keelan Cole over the middle in the fourth quarter and just went straight to the end zone. That yeah. was less than fun. And then Jacksonville lost their next 15, 15 games. 15 straight games in a row. And uh, Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville was no more, and they moved on to Trevor Lawrence, and the rest is history. Anyway. The NFL draft begins a week from today as we tape this podcast next Thursday. Or a week from Friday if you're the Colts. Exactly. Um, we've already mentioned that Matt Ryan is the Colts quarterback of the next two years, or so we think. But beyond that, giant shrug from me right now. Who could it be? Who could it be? Who could it be? Could it be someone in this draft? Well, Joe has put together a good primer for quarterbacks, and we'll get to tight ends as well. Another position really of need for the Colts after Jack Doyle has uh, left the team, decided to retire. Congrats to Jack. But let's focus on quarterbacks first. Joe, if we're looking at this group of quarterbacks overall, the overarching um, opinion on this group is that it is not at the same caliber as classes from the recent past. Like if you put... 
obviously Joe Burrow in this class, he'd be better than everyone. If you put Josh Allen in this past he'd be be- class, he'd be better than everyone. If you put Zach Wilson from last year in this class, he'd be better than everyone. So when you look at all this, <clears throat> all these guys, you might be able to find a diamond in here. But overall, the uh, the draft experts, the analysts, the former players who are on NFL Network or ESPN who are taking a look at all these tapes don't see high quality. So that might not be the sure or might be the surest sign that the Colts might not be focusing on quarterback when they finally get on the clock at 42nd overall. Or if they do, it's someone that they would really have to develop into someone who would be a starter. And they have a guy who's a developmental guy right now that they like in um, in Sam Ellinger. So so overall, like looking at these guys and looking at the Colts situation, like I think it's worthy to go over them for sure because, like we say, there might be a guy that they really like. But um, at the same time, quarterback, although being a position of need, this is maybe not the best draft class to go into a to go into with quarterback as a position of need. Yeah, especially you know if you're the Lions right now picking second overall, they could absolutely use a quarterback. There are no quarterbacks worth picking second overall in this draft. That doesn't mean the Lions won't pick a quarterback second overall because if you believe in a guy, you just take him um, because of the impact a quarterback can have. But there are several quarterbacks in this draft who have the talent to be successful in the NFL. It's just when you measure them against past draft classes um, and you're going to make a bet on who you think is most likely to be successful, these guys would not be as likely as some of the other guys. But that doesn't mean they're all just a – heaping trash pile. I mean, there are several guys with a lot of talent to be good players. Um, The first one I'm going to start with here, Malik Willis, he's a guy that the Colts reportedly had a pre-draft visit with. Yep. So either just doing their due diligence or maybe someone who really piques their interest. And if he slips far enough, I think the Colts, we kind of talked about last week, if a, I don't think they'd necessarily stand pat at 42 and just see if a quarterback falls to them. If a guy starts to slip, and they really want him and think he's going to be the franchise guy after Matt Ryan, I think they got to go get him. And Malik Willis could be that guy. He's about, you know, a little under six foot one, uh, sturdy frame, though, two, 220 pounds, did not participate in athletic testing at the Combine. We but, saw plenty of athleticism from him at Liberty, though, to oh, be yeah. fair. Yeah. Ran all over the place. Um, he averaged 79 rushing yards per game in his 29 starts at Liberty. Um, 47 touchdowns to 18 interceptions. He was a two-year starter there after transferring from Auburn. Um, Pro Football Focus said he had the second-highest big-time throw rate ever charted, and he has a big right arm that really helps him make those big-time throws. So when you get a quarterback who has both a big arm and is a good athlete, someone who can really make a lot happen with his legs, you get someone who has a lot of upside. Um, if you can coach him up. Lane Searland from NFL.com says, quote, upside quarterback with special parts of his game, but with no guarantee they will be assembled properly into a finished product. Daniel, De- Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com. Or Daniel says, Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah <laughs> in Topsy Turvy World. Um, he says, Willis is a thick, sturdy quarterback with elite arm strength and pr- playmaking ability. So this is a guy, arm strength, rushing ability, off-script playmaker, Really the kind of quarterback that the NFL is trending towards. Um, some of the things working against him, level of competition at Liberty. I believe he played two games 
uh, in which he started against a team that was ranked, and they did not go great for Malik Willis. I think he threw five interceptions and zero touchdowns <laughs> in those games. Now, he rushed for some touchdowns right. and ran the ball, but in, this, in terms of passing, it wasn't necessarily pretty. And then he just needs to become more consistent on timing, anticipation, accuracy, really that pocket passing. Um, he, he's got some stuff to work on there. But pro comparisons I've seen for him are Jalen Hurts and Tyrod Taylor. So he's one of those shorter quarterbacks, very mobile. He's got a big arm, but really just needs to put it all together. This is the kind of guy who could really benefit from sitting a couple years mm-hmm. behind a veteran like Matt Ryan. A uh, Matt Ryan, Absolutely. shall you say, perhaps? Mike, when you're looking at quarterbacks and when, when there's a, a hodgepodge of guys that maybe like uh, a wide range of scouts aren't in love with, something that could put him over the top with some is his athletic ability for certain and Malik Willis certainly seems to have that uh, for it, 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 it in his repertoire, even if, as Joe said, other things just need to be pieced together for him. So, so again, like Joe said, maybe not a day one starter, but someone to sit for a while. And that's not what that's again not what the NFL is trending toward. You want to take a guy in the first round, and you want to play him right away. Like the days of Aaron Rodgers sitting for a couple years, people don't want to see that anymore. They want to take their guy. They want him to play. Maybe take some lumps and see what he's uh, able to do. But uh, the uh, the with with this group specifically, maybe that's just not in the cards for too many of them this year. I still see some mock drafts have the Colts taking a quarterback. Although I think it's in more like the third or fourth round. Is it Carson Strong? Carson Strong, yeah. We'll yeah. get to him. I, 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 ju- I just I, – I, I try to take some of what we've heard over the offseason at face value, all, all chips in. The moves you're making is to win, to be as competitive as possible now. That's what they've done. And, and Matt Ryan, two years, and they guaranteed both years of $54 million. Yep. So is this team, with the moves they've made, are they in position to use a second or third round pick on a player that, if things go well, won't play for two years? I, I just I don't care if it's second round, third round, even fourth round. I just don't see how, with the way they've approached the offseason, I realize they've had visits and talked to these quarterbacks but I, it, it makes zero sense. Now, if they, would have, if they would have signed or addressed wide receiver, even left tackle, I would say, uh, okay, I, I'm not crazy about bringing a quarterback in, but you've at least given yourself the possibility to, to do that. And I just don't see that. Now, like Joe said, let's, let's say they're sitting there at 42, and for, for whatever reason, the culture of the outlier, and they think Willis is just going to be off the charts once he gets once he learns how to play the position and if if they think this guy or any of these guys is the long-term answer and he drops to him then i i guess you bite the bullet and you take him but then you better have a a a, a, a good fallback option for the positions you haven't you haven't dealt with because they're this you're always looking for stability and long-term answers at quarterback but right now, this team is like in a two-year window with the way they've, they're doing deals to win and to compete. And taking a quarterback early does not fit that. Yeah, you better be dang sure. If... You, but you, and, and you can't be. Right. I mean, the draft ship tells <laughs> right. you you can't be. You know, even, you know yes, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, yes, okay, you're, you're sure. But 60% of the time, you don't know. 
I mean, even Josh Allen when he was coming out, like, it was, there were a lot of like, he, I think his abilities were were like Malik Willis, but he was like six five and and even stronger. So that that enticed people to take him higher in the first round. That, but but are you sure about Kyler Murray? I I don't know. I, I, right. So, so again, I, 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 I again, I just think the window that this team is in. I, I'm not saying it's it's winner winner else in the next two years, because they've got this is still relatively a young roster, but the moves you've made again Nagakwe is a one year deal, and and what was Gilmore? Was it three? I think it's two. I think two it was two year, two okay, as well, two years yeah. twenty three. Right. So everything has been fashioned for that all chips in window, and a developmental franchise quarterback doesn't fit, especially when, in like Joe said in a thin quarterback draft. Joe, there's a couple of teams that are quarterback needy that are picking in the first round. Mike, uh, we mentioned the the Lions are there. The uh, Panthers could use a quarterback, we think. The Where Steelers. At six. Panthers, Panthers six. at six. The Steelers are down at like 20 or something. Steelers at 20 could make so a move. Someone, Falcons at eight. Right. Seahawks at nine. Yep. So there's several several teams. That, that if they like a quarterback here, go snide and take And, one. you know, for all the reasons Mike just said about you know, this year not being the right timing to draft a quarterback. The more quarterbacks go in the first round, the better for the Colts. That's a good point. Because that means the it just pushes the rest of the positions down. Um, I guess well, one thing before you go into these, what this draft and when you go through these quarterbacks, what it's going to show us again is how desperation pushes quarterbacks up. Almost every draft analyst agrees that this is not a good draft class. And all these guys have issues, but will three be drafted in the first round? Two will be. Might yeah. three, might three, but because of the of you don't want to miss on the guy. I think three is about where the over under. I think three will be taken in the first round because you get that fifth year option. So I think even if a team in the second round, instead of waiting, they trade into the end of the first round just to get that fifth year with their quarterback. Um, Sometimes that's not a good thing. <laughs> Well, you, You're not wrong. It is Sam option. Well, I realize that, but <laughs> I would hope that with, with any player, particularly quarterback, you better know by four years. You just you should know after three years if the guy is going to be what you thought he was. Yeah. Well, to that point, the Giants are another team with two first round picks uh, and Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones, yeah. who four years later. Yeah, some people act like we still don't know what he is. I think we know what Daniel Jones is. If, if you point. don't know what he is. You know what he is. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I guess I'll keep going through the list here, even though we just kind of poo-pooed on the Colts taking a quarterback. <laughs> no, sure, sure, work. No, too. no, like, yeah, like, like I said, yeah, I, I, I still think that this is worthwhile to go through because uh, all if you're what listening out there, you know the Colts need a quarterback in the future, and if they fall in love with one of those guys, then you're hearing a little bit about them right now. So I'm, I'm not saying that I'm in love with these guys. But there certainly could be a case where the Colts take one or trade up into the end of the first round to get one of them if somebody slips. So, like I said, I do think it is worthwhile to go through. These guys aren't top five picks, but could the Colts love them enough to trade into the low 20s? Absolutely, I think they could. And the other guy expected to go in the first round is Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett, kind of the more prototypical quarterback, 6'3", 217. Good athlete, ran a 4'7 in the 40-yard dash, which is pretty good for a quarterback. Um, four-year starter at Pittsburgh, really broke out this past season. First-team All-American with 4,300 passing yards, ACC record 42 touchdown passes to just seven interceptions, completed 67% of his passes. I mean, that one year really outdid the previous three seasons 
where he only had 38 touchdown passes combined, 24 picks. So he's kind of been compared to Joe Burrow in which he really just exploded his senior year after subpar, not subpar, but just kind of average previous seasons. Um, Broke Pittsburgh career records with passing yards and passing touchdowns previously held by Dan Marino. Pretty good player. Pretty pretty, pretty good. So Kenny Pickett, um, a, a lot of people see him as maybe the most pro-ready quarterback just because of how he tore up college and just kind of is more developed as a pocket passer than a guy like Willis is, despite the fact that Pickett doesn't have the elite traits like Willis with arm strength, speed. He's decent in those areas, but maybe not elite. Uh, Zero Line says, quote, he can make all the throws, but he's only able to execute against this, but he'll only be able to execute against disguised fronts and NFL pressures if he's willing to hang in and win with his eyes first. Daniel Jeremiah says, Pickett has ideal size, athleticism, and accuracy for the position. Um, pro comparisons, Andy Dalton, Derek Carr, Matt Hasselbeck. So the knock on Kenny Pickett is he's not really seen as a guy with the traits to be an elite top five quarterback he could be a decent solid quarterback in the league and start for 10 to 12 years but he's not seen as one of those guys who could really carry a franchise all by himself someone like an Andy Dalton in that list I mean he had some great receivers for a while like Chad Ochocinco TJ Hushmanzetta earlier Tyler Eifert AJ Green he got him eventually and he had he led the Bengals some fairly good years so like if if you kind of hit lightning in a bottle with everything else then Kenny Pickett maybe like if, if that's the comparison and uh, then, I mean, the Colts have a fairly good roster right now. They might think that, hey, we have everything kind of around him, and, and Kenny Pickett could be the guy after Matt Ryan's gone. So I, that's, that's, again, why I say I think this is worthwhile to go over some of these guys. Another guy who is really rising in this draft class as teams dive into his traits, uh, his character, his work ethic, is Desmond Ritter. And the Colts reportedly went over to Cincinnati to work out and visit with Ritter and some of his receivers we talked about a couple weeks ago, or I think just last week, the wide receiver Alec Pierce could be a second or third round pick uh, that the Colts look into. But Ritter, 6'3", 211 pounds, uh, no hand concerns, 10-inch hands, <laughs> unlike Pickett, who's got sub-9-inch hands, which would be... Disastrous. I mean, I, the only other player with those small of hands has been Michael Vick, who is six foot, not six foot three. So it would be... Kind of an outlier hands-wise, but I'm not going to take up too much time discussing hands Wise. at the current situation. Ritter, the athleticism is there. Ran a 4.52 at the 40, 36-inch vertical. Um, the 40 was the best among quarterbacks at the Combine, so he can really move. Accolades, two-time AAC Offensive Player of the Year the past two seasons. He's a four-year starter, so he has the experience. And, I mean, really led Cincinnati to the college football playoffs this past year. Um, and if he had done a little bit better against Alabama, might be in the mix to be the first quarterback taken. But really, when he played the higher level of competition, that Alabama game, uh, a lot of his issues are really exposed there. But he had a great season, 3,300 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, eight picks, uh, also ran for nearly 400 yards and six touchdowns. He set school records with 87 touchdown passes, 1,200 yards of total offense, Pro Football Focus says he improved every year in route to a career-high 90.7 grade last season. And Zero Line says he can make all the throws. He'll, uh, uh, 
I oh, copy, you copied I, it again. I do this every week. There's one where I copy the is same it? quote to the other player. The Zerline and the Daniel Jeremiah. Oh, quote. my goodness. So we just go down to the pros. I'll go down there. to the pros as I screwed up my rundown. Golly. But, um, pros, reading the field, going through his pr- progressions, timing, his pocket presence, athleticism, mobility, experience, leadership, character, all of that is there. Some of the cons, um, inconsistent accuracy. He'll be spot on for maybe eight out of ten throws, and then those other two will just be, whoa, where was that one going? He's been working on his footwork, which might be able to clean some of that up. I know Josh Allen had accuracy concerns coming out, so this is something where players can improve. He also has a slender frame for someone running around 210. You don't want your quarterback taking too many hits at that weight. He's not a Josh Allen who's nearly... 240, 250. Who is, to be fair, but yes. Um, pro comparisons I've seen for Ritter include Alex Smith and Dak Prescott, two guys who uh, have some good athleticism and have had success in the NFL. That next guy who could be a first-round pick, Matt Corral from Ole Miss, and he's a guy who is very mobile as well. A lot of the guys in this draft are mobile. Corral, 6'1 and a half, 212, not participate in... The combine or pro day is recovering from a high ankle sprain that he suffered during his bowl game. But he was second team all SEC last year. 27 starts, really became a full-time starter in 2020, so two years of starting experience. And he's a dual threat. He threw for 3,300 passing yards last year, also rushed for 600 yards, uh, 20 passing touchdowns to five picks, and ran the ball into the end zone 11 times for 11 rushing touchdowns there. Um, You look at me, take care of the ball. Only 10 turnover-worthy plays last year, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, But that's because the system that he plays in kind of, a lot of times they'll slice the field in half for him. He'll have limited reads. He's not asked to go through a lot of progressions. Zero Line says, a spread-based scheme and player-friendly head coach gives Corral the best opportunity to live up to his potential and challenge to become the best quarterback from this draft class, Daniel Jeremiah, said in his scouting report that, quote, Corral has an intriguing skill set, but the size combined with his play style is a concern. That kind of references he, when he runs, he runs with reckless abandon. He doesn't really slide or worry about the hit he's going to take, and that's a concern for someone who's 212 pounds. He needs to add a little bit more weight uh, and girth behind him to be able to sustain those hits in the NFL. Um, but his pros are there. Above average accuracy makes throws with varying speeds. Some guys only have a fastball. This guy can loft it, uh, get, really put some touch on the football, um, depending on the throw. He's got a quick release, his rushing ability. His teammates really rallied around him. Anyone you asked on there at Ole Miss, this is the guy who really inspires the troops. Um, but he's someone who hasn't had to work through full progressions, so he might not be ready for an NFL playbook right away. Pro comparisons I've seen include Baker Mayfield and Tyler Huntley, um, who had some success with the Ravens during uh, Lamar Jackson's injuries last year. I'll just dive right in. Second-round pick, Sam Howell. This is someone the Colts had a pre-draft visit with. Howell, uh, six foot and a half, 218 pounds, he did not participate in athletic testing at the Combine, um, but he's had a really good career at North Carolina. Second team, all ACC in 2020, third team in 2019. He's an experienced three-year starter. Last year, his passing stats kind of fell off because he left, lost 
several of his offensive playmakers to the NFL, including Javante Williams, uh, second-round pick of the Denver Broncos. But he still threw for 3,000 yards, 24 passing touchdowns, nine interceptions, and showed that he could run the ball, 828 rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns. That's a big difference. The previous couple years, he only had about 150 rushing yards. So he showed an aspect of the game that he did not display in previous seasons. Pro Football Focus says he broke 63 tackles in 2021. Um, so he's able to really run through some arm tackles. Zierland said... Um, Here's what here's what I'll say about about how and like with 63 broken tackles here, Joe, you're not going to break tackles. I don't think Mike in the NFL as much as you break them in college. So I, he he found a, a a little bit of a niche there his his last year because he didn't have the weapons he had before. Threw for 500 fewer yards, uh, nearly six percent fewer completion percentage points. Like that, it's 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 a pendulum that swung back one way that he can't continue that way if he wants to go in the NFL. I would say. Yeah, and again, all these guys Joe talk about have this mobility in the run game. Frank would love that. Yeah, I mean, oh, he he, you know, he and he tried to accentuate that with Carson Wentz last year. That won't be the case with Matt Ryan. No, but but that that's not a, that's not a negative at all for the Colts. So again, Frank Frank loves the RPOs and he loves what what a quarter what a mobile quarterback can do. We'll just again see if that's something that's even a, re- a possibility Did, moving forward. Didn't mean to uh, interrupt you too much, but you we were about to say NFL.com's Daniel Jeremiah, his scouting report, Hal is a thick, compact quarterback, excellent arm strength, toughness, and athleticism. So some some compliments for, for the young man who could be a second-round pick. Yeah, and he throws a pretty deep ball. So if the Colts sitting there at 42, think enough about Hal, um, they might pull the trigger on him. They did at least were intrigued enough with him to meet with them pre-draft. Um, so that's someone to keep an eye on. His pro comparisons I've seen: Chase Daniel, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Baker Mayfield. Hurts uh, and Mayfield come up several times because a lot of the quarterbacks in the draft are a little shorter, um, so not a ton of. It's only been recently, the recent years, that the short quarterbacks have kind of fallen in favor in the NFL, where the height doesn't ding you as much as it used to. I think an interesting question to ask Chris Ballard tomorrow is on these these pre draft draft thirty visits. I think generally you meet with players, of course you have some level of interest in, but you have questions about whether it's medical, whether they fit or whatever. I almost think it's it's trying to ease any concerns or questions you have as, a fo- as opposed to reinforcing why you like the guy. Yeah, I'd say the pre-draft visits doesn't necessarily mean they're going to draft him, obviously. I think, was it Rocky Sin? He said he was surprised that the Colts took him because he didn't meet with them at all before the draft. If, if, if you're set on the player, there's no reason to meet with them. Correct. Um, these are the guys who are, they're intrigued with, but let's settle this one question that we have um, or something like that. Or, you know, quarterbacks, I think, more than other positions, especially with Frank Wright, he really wants to get in there, see how they work, see how they throw the ball in person. So I could see that being uh, uh, something that plays a factor as well. The last quarterback I'll discuss, Carson Strong. Expected to go maybe rounds three or four, kind of that mid-round pick. And he kind of reminds me of Jacob Eason in the way where he's got the size, a huge arm. Is that a good thing? Well, you're just going to pile on from the start, huh? Well, he's got the size, a huge arm, but he has Philip Rivers-like mobility. He can't move. And part of the reason that was strong is... Well, you he, just keep trashing the guy. <laughs> there's a reason he's going around three and four in a weak quarterback class. He's had multiple surgeries on his right knee. Um, so that's something that 
you really got to uh, factor in when deciding to draft him. But had a great season last year, 38 touchdown passes to eight interceptions, 4,100 yards, um, three years starting experience. Zierland says he clearly has first-round talent, but long-term durability concerns surrounding the knee could force teams to take a more cautious approach with his projection draft slotting. So this is a guy who's accurate, got the big arm, throws with touch, velocity, has his size. It was a team captain, highly regarded. But he's a statue in the pocket and has the uh, durability concerns as well as the level of competition he played at Nevada. It's not necessarily the best test for the NFL. Um, this is a guy who maybe if he's there in rounds four or five, the Colts want a backup quarterback. I don't hate it, but... I'd be surprised if the Colts put their eggs in this basket. You have a backup quarterback. His name is Sam Ellinger, and you can get someone in round four like a Kari Willis or a Marlon Mack. So, hey, for, that, from my perspective... That's the argument I made. Like, yeah, why, why would you draft a quarterback in round four, Mike? I, I don't I, know why. Again, it, it's the way they've done things says they won't. Yeah. It, it's just And again, they, they take him at their word. They like what Sam brings. Ha, has a chance not, not to be a a starter, but but to be a guy you can have as that backup, the the Jim Sorgi type backup to where when he has to play, he's going to play at a decent enough level. So, again, this is a great rundown by Joe. I will be shocked. I, I'll use the word shocked <laughs> if we're talking about these guys Friday or Saturday. Those are the quarterbacks for the draft that coming up, the top six, the guys that you need to know, just in case the Colts shock us. And take mm-hmm. someone who they think can be the quarterback of the future. Now, tight ends. Now let's discuss tight ends. I can who, see tight end. Yeah. I can see the Colts take a tight end. I mean, as early as round two if they really like somebody. Um, but this is a position where you go all in. You're trying to win right now. A tight end could really help Matt Ryan in this passing game win right now. The player who's really considered the top tight end in this draft, Trey McBride out of Colorado State. Not the biggest guy, 6'3 and a half. But I wouldn't necessarily say size is an issue with them. 246. Um, at the combine, 33 inch verticals, so so. At his pro day, he ran a very nice 45640, which many scouts said was faster than they expected based on his uh, tape. Uh, he has 32 starts, accolades. I mean, he won the John Mackey Award last year. John Mackey? Uh, unanimous All American. Because he caught 90 balls for 1,100 yards and a touchdown. So he really did a great job. He also had a 69-yard rushing touchdown on a fake punt nice. on his last play of his college career. So that's a great way to go out. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Pro Football Focus said everyone knew the ball was coming his way, and he still dominated. Zero Line said two-way tight end with the size, strength, and ball skills to help impact games in line or in space. And Daniel Jeremiah says McBride doesn't have elite speed, is extremely reliable in every facet of the position. Really, he's just a good all-around tight end. Uh, he can block. He's a willing blocker. Obviously, you need, every college tight end needs to develop further in blocking to be ready for the pros. Um, but he sh- shows a willingness in above-average college blocking tight end. He can run, good hands. Um, really, the biggest knock is he doesn't have elite athletic traits um, he, he's not super twitched up. He's not super strong, super big. Um, so his ceiling's not seen as high as maybe some tight ends, but he has a really high floor. He's going to contribute. I've seen him compared to Austin Hooper and Hunter Henry. 
um, which I think the Colts would take in a heartbeat. Chap, I'll say this about tight ends just in general. It doesn't seem like NFL teams have a good handle on evaluating tight ends coming out of college because the best in the league right now guys like travis kelsey george kittle they've been taken rounds three rounds five like if obviously if you knew that they were going to be that good you'd take them in rounds one or two because this has turned into a very important position in the nfl it can be crucial especially for a young quarterback to have a solid tight end but so so when you look at these guys that the colts might take somewhere in rounds two to four to five these could be big time playmakers down the road yeah, go back in, in the 2000s when they took first-round pick on Dallas Clark. That was a pretty good one. They saw him they as, got that a, one. They saw him as a difference maker. Yep. As He, he didn't have anywhere near these measurables. Was he 6'2"? Yeah, he wasn't about 6'2". He was a yeah. shorter tight end. Shorter and, and, and not a real big guy. He was that hybrid that, that, that really excelled and had some great, great seasons. And we've talked about the, the position of need – you can rank these two or three however you want to do it, but at tight end, you've got Mo Ali Cox and Kylan Granson, and that's it. Then you got a bunch of guys that you, you couldn't pick out of a lineup. So, And I think, I, again, the, the way that the draft goes, there's going to be talent pushed down to the Colts at, in, at 42, and what is it in third round, 72 or 73? I think 73. So, so they, can, they can get people they want. Uh, and, and tight end – I think in the first, with their, one of their first three picks, will probably be a tight end. The other guy who's really risen through the draft process and might be the first tight end taken is Greg Dulcich from UCLA. The Colts reportedly had a pre-draft visit with Dulcich, so they worked him out. They see how he moves. 6'4", 243. He's got the length to really snag balls away from his body with 33 and 38 inch arms. And he had a nice workout at the Combine, ran a 4.69 40-yard dash, which is a good time for a tight end, 34-inch um, vertical, solid 7.05 three-cone. Uh, he was a walk-on at UCLA who came to school as a wide receiver, put on 40 pounds of muscle at UCLA, so he's still learning the nuances of playing the tight end position. But he can make a difference as a, uh, a receiving entity. Two-year starter, 17 total starts. He was all Pac-12 uh, in 2021 with 42 catches for 725 yards and five touchdowns. Also had 500 yards and five touchdowns in just seven games in 2020. So he's been productive. He averaged over 18 yards per catch uh, during the last two seasons. So he's a guy who uh, can really make some splash plays and some big plays for you. Zerland said move tight end with some vertical talent who can't be expected to add much as an inline blocker, former wide receiver, that makes kind of sense that he's not going to be as developed as a blocker. Daniel Jeremiah said, Dulcich is a twitchy tight end prospect with big play production. He lines inline or flexed in the slot. Dulcich is exactly what teams are looking for at the position and should emerge as a quality starter. I saw a video kind of comparing Dulcich's ability um, in his routes to Travis Kelsey, where he gets to the top of his route and kind of loses defender with the move there. Um, so pros, athleticism, length, route running hands, and his ability to run after the catch, really just pull away from defenders. Cons, he just needs to kind of develop in all areas, develop as a blocker, get a little bit stronger, and continue to learn the nuances of position. I've seen him compared to Jordan Reed, Jared Cook, and his route running, like I just said, to Travis Kelsey. So Dulcich is a guy who, you know, I do those mock draft uh, simulators. 
I've been taking Dulcich in round three or sometimes round two because I think he'd fit great with the Colts who could use him how they used to use Eric Ebron. I think if you, Mike, just use what positions that Colts fans would want, you'd have wide receiver and left tackle above tight end. But an impact tight end could be like a wide receiver in some ways. Uh, but nevertheless, if you're looking at picks, like kind of like what you said earlier, if you're uh, thinking maybe a tight end in the first three picks that they have, t- second round might be a little high, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it's, it's, it could be a one that, that, that pays dividends. What will be interesting is, is do the Colts believe, like a lot of people, that, that the wide receiver depth is, is deep enough that you can get a, a quality guy in round three? And you won't get the same value at tight end in round three that you will in round two. Right. And as far as offensive tackle, which they need, you get out of the first round and it's just not the same. So to, to me, to get a to get a, a, a guy in a round three or four at tackle that you think is going to make an immediate impact, I think you're sort of wishing. So, uh, again, I, I say receiver, tight end, tight end receiver, and then if you want to tackle – It'll be a developmental guy, but again, and one thing on Dallas Clark, I was looking, I, I shorted him. He's 6'3", 250. Hey, come on, Mike. So Jeez. pretty good size player. And again, if they could get anywhere near that type of, of player who can, you know, and when you get the tight end, you know, a lot of these guys, again, like Joe said, they have to work on their blocking. Well, the, the thing you do is you don't put him in a position to fail. You know, how many times did I see Dallas Clark was was told to block a, an edge pass rusher and he failed well, no kidding yeah so again th- these guys love tight ends last year was really a, a a struggle for him because the tight end position just didn't give him much so I, I think they're they're really committed especially once again to, to not address the position in free agency outside of re-signing mo uh they've got to find a tight end who can come in and and I don't want to say develop, but but to be a factor early on. So those are two tight ends who could hear their names called in round two, maybe the Colts, depending on the wide receivers already taken, like a tight end more. But when we get into rounds three or four, uh, the next guy up, Case Auten out of Washington, he's more of that inline tight end who I could see the Colts uh, really needing with Jack Doyle's exit. 6'5", 247, four-year starter, did not participate at the Combine, accolades, include first-team All-Pac 12 in 2020. Uh, missed a few games this past year with COVID and I believe an ankle injury, some kind of injury, I forget. It wasn't crazy serious, but he missed a few games this past season. Stats, uh, career, four years, 91 catches, 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns, never recorded more than 344 yards in a single season. Pro Football Focus said one of the best all-around blockers in the draft class, although he was underutilized in Washington's passing game. Zerland said he's an ascending combination tight end with starting talent. He should become a more productive pro than college player as a likely day two pick. In Bleach Reports, Nate Tice's scouting report said he might never be a mismatch nightmare for defenses, but his polished technique will allow him to carve out a role that allows him to stay on the field and consistently impact the game in a positive way. So, He's got good size, reliable hands, good route running, and can block really well. Biggest con, lack of elite athletic traits to really become that game changer. Um, He's steady but not dynamic. 
and didn't have a ton of production at Washington. I've seen him compared to Jack Doyle. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like Jack Doyle. And Jason Witten, another guy who was maybe never the fastest or the quickest, but just got the job done for the Cowboys and is probably going to be a Hall of Famer if he's not already. Mm -hmm. can't quite remember. But anyway, I really like Case Otten as maybe around three or four pick for the Colts. Yeah, like uh, like we've said here, if you're looking to replace Jack Doyle, you're not going to replace him right away. It's going to ha- take some time, but you, you need someone who but can... It took Jack Doyle a couple of years. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's kind of what I'm uh, getting at. So, uh, But you want someone who's not just a, a, a split-out tight end. You want someone who can play in line, which is what, you, what you, you've mentioned a couple of those guys here. Yeah, and the next guy can do that, too. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State. I really like him. He's another guy I take a lot in the draft simulator. <laughs> Six, five and a half, 252. Um, so he's got the size, did not run at the combine. Two-year starter, uh, honorable mention all Big Ten the last two years because Ohio State really just didn't use him that much. They had so many mouths to feed. Uh, they featured other players in their offense. He has 615 uh, yards at Ohio State over the course of his career there and 12 touchdowns, uh, career-high 300 yards last year. Pro Football Focus said arguably the best blocking tight end in the draft class and has uber-reliable ball skills. Only two drops on 56 catchable targets over his career, so really good hands. And there's several highlights of him snagging it one-handed. Um, he, he does a really good job of catching balls away from his body. Zerlin says, uh, Nate Tice, I'll move to him, actually. He's, um, God, I keep copy and pasting copy and the paste wrong Copy and paste is uh, Control-C, Control-V. It's uh, Joe's uh, great, uh, great nemesis. <laughs> but anyway, I'll uh, need to wrap this up anyway. Ruckert is a guy with good size, a really good athlete, has the hands. He's an aggressive blocker. He's been compared to Dalton Schultz and Cameron Brait. Uh, I think Ruckert is kind of like Case Otten, but because he has a little more athleticism, might be able to give you a little something extra, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's get to the mid to late round picks as we wrap things up. Um, we don't have to go too in-depth on these, Joe, but uh, anything stick out in terms of some of these guys that, uh, that could be uh, sixth or seventh round selections? Something that really stood out as far as the whole draft class for tight end is there are guys the Colts are going to be able to get in the mid to late rounds that could contribute. Charlie Collar from Ohio- Iowa State, really good receiving tight end with good testing numbers. And production doesn't offer much as a blocker, though. Jelani Woods, who the Colts had a pre-draft visit with, tested off the charts 6'7", 250, ran a 4'6", 140. I've seen him compared to Mo Alleycox just because there aren't a ton of guys that big who can move like that. Um, Really broke out with Virginia after transferring from Oklahoma State. 44 catches, nearly 600 yards, 8 touchdowns. Um, he came to Oklahoma State as a quarterback, so he's still kind of learning the position, was used as a blocking tight end at Oklahoma State. He's an intriguing guy with a lot of size and athleticism who could get better with more experience. A few other guys worth mentioning, Daniel Bellinger from uh, San Diego State, Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin, 6'5", 250 guys who can block, can have reliable hands, can kind of play that Jack Doyle role, just needs some more development. Um, I like this tight end class. I think the Colts could get a tight end to really contribute year one 
in kind of that three tight end rotation and develop into more going forward. You've got to get a tight end this draft, Mike. You have to, right? You can't just rely on bringing in someone off the street or as an undrafted free agent and hope that he becomes a Jack Doyle. You need to go out and be proactive and get someone to fill that role, right? Yeah, that's. I I, I was a little bit surprised they didn't at least address the position in free agency because there there were some not great but but good good people that could come in and help you there. And like I say, they. They have been a tight end centric offense, not centric, but friendly offense since Frank's been here. I mean, go back to Eric Ebron's year uh, when it was just not off the charts, and Jack Doyle has had some good times. He had a Pro Bowl year under Frank, right? Yeah, and and it just wasn't the same last year. Uh, Jack was, you know, nearing the end and fighting injuries and all that, and Mo was up and down and all that. So, and Colin Granson didn't give him a lot. Uh, and the need at tight end is exacerbated by the need at receiver. So they do go hand in hand. They've got they've got to find. You want to replace a Jack Doyle, but you almost more than that, as much as that, you need to find a guy that can stretch the defense and do some damage over the middle of the field. That'll wrap things up for us. Does Joe, you have anything else to say? Nope. I was just going to say if I could pick, you know, yeah, if I could predict, I think. There's a good chance the Colts might uh, turn the card in on Dulcich or Jelani Woods. I just think they really fit what they're looking for at the position. Well, that will wrap up this edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listing device as it drops, including surprise emergency podcasts when the Colts go out and sign former NFL Defensive Player of the Year's like Stephon Gilmore last week. Or trade for Debo Samuel. Or trade for Debo Samuel. That that, that podcast coming in a day or two. You'll see it right here. We appreciate you listening. You can follow us all on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Individually, I'm at Dave G underscore sports. Mike is at MChapel51. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. And we thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We'll see you next week for an NFL Draft Primer. 